You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. The difference between the winter months and early spring, I call I call early spring March, maybe March, March. We'll say March, late March, April is, is what I look at. Look at as early spring. Is there a, a significant difference between uh, the the market? What's a ve- or maybe I should say inventory when it comes to oh, homes? Oh yeah, yeah. There, I mean, look, everyone, everyone knows that the majority of people buying homes are have families, I should say, have kids in school. So that drives a lot of those decisions. That drives a lot of the timing. So generally, like spring, people are going to gear up to buy a home in the summer so that they can move and get all the logistics done and and pretty much moved in by the time the kids start school. So you can kind of see if you look back like decades, there's like an ebb and flow where we see inventory go down in the winter and then we see a tick up a bit as we get into spring and summer. And that's also coinciding with, you know, the actual activity in the market and when people are buying and selling homes. Interesting. All right. So uh, a stagnant market, a slow market right now. Um, it's inevitable, I suppose. It, it'll 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 start picking it's, up in about a month. Normal seasonality, and you know those listeners that have heard us for years know, like we do a seasonality show on right. on yep. Mortgage Matters here, and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. We've done a couple shows on seasonality where we go in depth on that. And this year's not any any different than last year, the year before, or even ten years ago. We're just continuing to see the seasonality. So. Right now, I think some of the things are being embellished, like the low inventory and whatnot. But, um, you know, there are brighter times ahead. Even if we just see a little bit of an uptick at this point, any uptick in inventory would be great. And any downtick in rates would be great and really ignite the market. So that's what we're hoping to see here going into the spring for sure. What about new build? Um I, we talk, I mean, we've been talking predominantly about um, houses, pre-existing homes that are going on the market. But what about new build? Yeah, new build. I mean, look, in a lot of other parts of the country, new builds are like very prominent. In Connecticut, we have an older housing stock. So we do have some new builds here. It's just not like other areas. Uh, You go down to like certain parts of Florida, you'll see new builds literally every block, block after block are new builds with hundreds of homes that they're putting up that have all these nice amenities and all that. And uh, we do have some of that in Connecticut. It's just a much, much lower density than in other areas. So um, new builds, I mean, they're great. They're needed. We have a huge supply shortage. But what we really need is affordable housing. And unfortunately, a lot of the new builds right now are in the half a million to a million dollar price point or more. That's not typically going to be your first time buyer. Uh, your entry-level buyer. What we need are new builds that are priced in like the 250 to 400 range. Who makes if that we, decision of choosing to build? The builders. It's. I mean, they have to make money. They're running a business. So un- understandably, they don't make as much on a $275,000 house as they would on a $650,000 house. So they've just made decisions to not do it as much. Uh, different show, different topic, but I've heard really cool things about artificial intelligence when it comes to building affordable housing, as well as 3D printing 
affordable housing. So actually building homes affordably using technology instead of the old-fashioned builders with, you know, actual people hitting hammers on a construction site. Uh, very, very cool stuff going on, but I think that's the future of building and affordable housing. I'm surprised that, like every other industry, they just don't look at data and say, well, there's a... There's an affordable housing need. Let's fill that void. Well, they got to they got to factor in the price of the land, okay, which is very very expensive and going up. They've got to factor in the price of taxes and insurance and all these other things, materials, especially over the last couple of years with the inflation, you know, slowly but surely and more recently very very quickly skyrocketing, you just can't take the risk on a very, very low-priced home. I mean, I've talked to some builders myself about it, and it's like they just – there's not profitability. There's too much risk building the affordable housing. So that's okay, though. There's a void in the market, and it's going to get filled, but I think it may get filled through technology, and I'm actually pretty excited about that. Is there a shortage of land available? A shortage of land? Well – You can buy land. I mean, you can go on any website and buy land. So I think that there's land available, but is it in the areas that are attractive where you'd want to build a home? Is it affordable? Does it have the things that you need? For example, like how far away is it to run your utilities and your, you know, different things that you need to kind of get the house uh, or build a house there and live there, right? So I think that that's a big factor. All right. I just, I'm just out of curiosity. I just think that um, I, I, I heard ma- building materials. I actually only heard this within the last week. I heard that they're, they've gone down a little bit. They have. That's great. I've seen lumber and all that. So, like, we want to continue to see this trend go down for a lot of reasons. But, I mean, inflation is obviously run rampant. We want to see that go down. That's going to drive mortgage rates down ultimately. So that's huge. That's going to make housing more affordable, okay? That's the bottom line, and make housing cheaper for people that want to buy their first homes and whatnot. So uh, let's hope that that trend continues. And I've just had so many of the same questions, Gary, recently on, you know, not necessarily new builds, but just overall the home buying process from the standpoint of the down payment, right? Oh, yeah. So... The, the number one hurdle, um, well, let me take you back for a second. I did a home buying seminar online on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and we had over 350 people register for it. About 200 showed up, and I had one-on-one consultations with a, a big group of people over the last couple of weeks one-on-ones where they actually talk to me about their concerns of buying a home. And I would say the number one thing, even more than credit, was the down payment. And the number one struggle that I see people having when it comes to buying the home right now is their down payment. And I think it's because of inflation and because we're getting spread so thin with Mm -hmm. our budgets that we can't save extra money. I believe it. I believe that's what it's all about. So that's what I wanted to dive into today was the down payment dilemma that everyone's having this dilemma of do I save money? Do I pay off debt? Do I buy a home? Do I keep renting? Where do I put that dollar? Because once you spend it once, you can't spend it again. Right. All right. There's so many people talking. We last week we talked about PMI and there's too many people trying to avoid it for the wrong reasons. So there's got to be some common mistakes that people are making in order to save for their down payment. Let's just, let's start there. 
Yeah, so the number one mistake I would say right off the grip is going to be assuming that you know how much money you need. <laughs> so there's two schools of thought. There's people that are like, I need 20%, no ifs, ands, or buts. And then there's other people that are like, I don't need any money to buy a house. You know, I have a thousand bucks in my bank account. I'll buy a house with that. Unfortunately, they've heard from the media, social, you know, the social platforms and other people that, you know, it's a free handout. Everyone deserves to own a home. And if you don't have the money, the government will give you the money to buy a home. No, I don't know about that. Well, you're right. I'm here to to squash that today. That's a myth. That's not true. I I have seen one-off scenarios where the deal can be put together with down payment assistance and seller concessions and all these unique unicorn items and someone can buy a home with $500, okay? I have seen that happen before. I have had clients do that before. But you're talking about less than, like, 5% of the time. So it's not something that we want to base things on. If it happens to work out that way, great. But assuming you know how much you need is a big mistake. Saving too much or too little, which goes along with that. Taking advice from people that don't know the current loan offerings. Mm. You know, someone that bought a home 15 years ago and put 20% down, well, that doesn't translate to today. Different market, different products, different offerings. Uh, Many people just wait too long to get started, Gary. They just have analysis paralysis, and they're trying to figure it all out on their own, and they can't, so they just don't do anything. And then a year or two go by, and they go, darn, I should have bought a house. And they could have if they had the direction, if they had the strategy, right? But they don't. So waiting too long to get started is a huge, huge mistake. The last thing would be commingling funds. So, you know, you might have money that you're starting to save up to buy a home, but you're keeping it in your checking account at the same place that you pay all your bills out of. And then next thing you know, something comes up and that 1500 or $2,000 that you started saving towards your home purchase, gone. it's eaten up by something. Yeah, and, and it's gone. So you don't want to commingle the money. You want to create a special savings account or some account somewhere that you can't just easily access. But you want to be able to see it, watch it grow. You want to be able to transfer money into it easily. Just don't mingle it with your day-to-day expenses. And let's not forget to put about 10000 aside for the closing costs. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I have seen quite a few times um, where, you know, especially lately, I've seen the seller paying some of the closing costs. But ideally, yeah, you want to have flexibility with this stuff. I'm not going to sit here and say, Gary, that people should skimp when it comes to down payment or closing cost savings. The more money you have available, the more flexibility you're going to have. The easier it is to get your mortgage approved. You know, that's the bottom line. Just because you have 30 grand saved doesn't mean you're using right. 30 grand to buy the house. Maybe you're only going to use 15 out of that, but the more you have, the better for sure. All right, then I'm going to get right to it. What what tips? I mean, this you're the pro. What tips can you offer people to uh, cut back on expenses and save money? Definitely, definitely. Um, the tips on saving money. So the idea is that we can kind of reorganize your budget a little bit so that you can cut some expenses and then have more money to save for your down payment. So the first thing that you really want to do here is you want to go through your bank statements or your credit card statements for the last 60 to 90 days. And you want to identify things on that bank statement that maybe you don't need. I'm talking about mainly like subscriptions, right? 
uh, subscriptions you don't use. Maybe you're at the highest, fastest internet speed. Maybe you can downgrade and save 20 bucks a month. You still have it, but downgrade your package. Same thing with like TV subscriptions. Maybe you're at the Primo with HBO and Stars and all that. Maybe you just downgrade and save mm-hmm. 20 or 30 bucks a month there. It can really add up. So definitely cutting subscriptions is a big one. You want to renegotiate things that are on your bill. Uh, and I did this myself recently. Like if you see a subscription that's gone up or you see an item on your bill that's gone up quite a bit, call that customer service company. I just renegotiated my Sirius XM uh, radio oh, yeah. down significantly, saved hundreds of dollars a year. Right my dad that, did that. Making yep. a phone call. Yeah, my dad did that too. That's a huge one. Um, a, a big one, especially in Connecticut right now, is electric suppliers. So we all know that the electric rates in Connecticut are obscene right now. They've more than doubled in the last couple of months. So with that being said, you want to make sure that you have the best deal on your electricity. And what I mean is if you're paying 24 or 25 cents per kilowatt with Eversource or with United Illuminating, you need to switch to a third-party electric supplier and you need to get that rate down. I've seen third-party electric suppliers in Connecticut right now, like Times Square Energy and Constellation. They're at like 12, 13, 14 cents. That's a 50% savings over the Eversource rate. That could save you, myself, it saved me like 80 bucks per month. Okay. Yeah, but be careful because when that contract expires, it's more than what the normal kilowatt per well, hour yeah, is. Yeah, I do recommend you do a long-term contract. I locked in for, I think, 20 months. Okay, so you definitely want to do a long term contract with that. But um, for sure, it's important to do. And I've been doing that for years. It's just nobody really cared recently because the Eversource rate was reasonable. Now that it's doubled or more, it's like we need to start looking at these antiquated ways to save money on our monthly bills. Um, There's a tool that I recommend for everyone called Mint.com, M-I-N-T, Mint.com. It's a free budgeting tool to long term track your spending. So if you're someone that really needs to get a handle on their budget on a monthly basis and where all your money is going, you absolutely 100% need to uh, look at that Mint.com and set up a free account over there for sure. You know what, Rob? We've talked about uh, about this in the past, but how much should a person, I don't know, aim for, shoot for, for their, maybe like for a first-time home buyer for them to put down? All right. So, I mean, everyone always asks as if there's a one-size-fits-all, you know. Um, it re- Really, there's not. You really want to aim for 3 to 5% down. That's really, uh, you know, a minimum starting point. We will have a discussion here about down payment assistance because it's something that so many people ask about. Uh, I know even you asked me, Gary, on last week's show about this grant, right? This uh, state grant for buying Oh, the government. Home. Yeah, the government. So is, all yeah. of that really falls under the down payment assistance. Um, through the Connecticut Housing Finance Authority, there's down payment assistance programs. Um, I have access to some nationwide down payment assistance programs. So... You know, I, I got to be honest, I don't love down payment assistance programs. I feel like it's setting people up for failure. If you can't save up a minimum amount to buy a home, how are you going to repair the hot water heater for $2,500? Right. How are you going to fix the roof for, you know, three grand if you can't save up a minimum down payment? But I'm going to get off that soapbox and tell people what they want to know about that. So if you're going to do the down payment assistance, just make sure you're working with a lender that understands it. Make sure that you know the hoops to jump through and make sure that you know all the clauses. With a lot of these programs, 
there's a lot of details that if you don't understand, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Some of them won't let you sell your home for a certain amount of years. Many of them limit your ability to refinance when rates drop, which is a huge negative. Um, you know, just make sure you know what you're signing if you're going to go that route. I feel like in this market, with it being such a limited inventory, to try to buy a home with no down payment at all, when a lot of buyers are out here saving 5%, 10% or more, uh, you know, you've you got to be able to show that you've got some skin in the game. You really do. It is harder to get a down payment assistance mortgage approved than one where you put a small down payment, okay? So you want to set the odds in your favor. You want to do what it takes to move forward, and you want to set yourself up for success to get your offer accepted. So closing costs you mentioned, you know, putting money aside for that. Generally speaking, you know, it's another 4 or 5% of the price of the home for closing costs. And as Gary said, you know, that could be eight or $10,000 on top of your down payment. Uh, fortunately, what we've seen just in the last, I would say, four to five months, I've seen now a more of a willingness from the sellers of homes mm -hmm. to negotiate to pay some or all of the buyer's closing costs. Wow. I've had several buyers in the last couple of months that have had the seller pay all of their closing costs, okay? A year ago, that wasn't happening. Two years ago, like in the middle of the pandemic, absolutely not. You were paying all your own closing costs. So there is opportunity there. If you can just save up the down payment, then we can get the seller potentially to pay some or all those closing costs, which is going to lower that barrier to entry. Then you don't have to do a down payment assistance program, you know, if you're using that strategy. So it's a matter of looking at everything, you know, and, and make sure that you know your amount based on the home that you're going to buy, because obviously you need more money to buy a house for 500000 than you do a house for two seventy-five. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Uh, you can find out more information, of course, online at uh, Rob's website, which is simply enough, robgw.com. Uh, or by giving him a call, schedule an appointment, 860-413-3938. I will give those points of contact as well as an email address, uh, again, uh, more towards the end of, of the show. I, I, there was a time that you would say, hey, you know, if interest rates are so low, why put a lot of money down? You could use that other money to, you know, to use to make other investments and buy other properties and so on and so forth. But with the higher interest rates now, it might be in someone's best interest if they can go beyond the 20%, maybe put 25 or 30% down on a home. I would imagine. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you want to comment on that? No, or? no, I agree. I mean, look, if someone can, that's great. Um, having a solid credit score, I, I keep bringing up credit score. It, it, needs, it seems like every show, but good God, I would imagine it's got everything to do with um, with, with saving for a down payment, right? No, actually, credit score has nothing to do with saving up for a down payment. They're completely separate. Oh, I mean, okay. look, generally speaking, if your credit is low, of course you want to save up a little bit more, you know? Um, it, it, it would uh, definitely help you get approved, especially on a conventional mortgage, if you're, if you're uh, going to put a large down payment. But on, like, a lot of these government-backed loans, FHA, VA, um, whether you've got, you know, a 640 credit score or a 740 credit score, you're kind of in the same spot when it comes to the, you know, the down payment. I would say the place where down payment, the only place I could see down payment playing a big factor along with the credit score would be on a conventional loan. But, um, like you mentioned a minute ago, Gary, having more money available, having more skin in the game, it's going to be easier to get your mortgage approved, okay? Right. So the more money you have invested into the house, into the transaction, the lower risk that you're looked at. 
So if you do have a lower credit score and you have the ability to put down a large down payment, large meaning like bigger than 5 or 10%, then I would recommend in many cases. And really work closely with your mortgage advisor to find out, like, what's the minimum down that you could do? Because like I said, just because you have 50 grand in the bank doesn't mean we need all 50. Sometimes maybe we use a little bit and we put a little bit in reserve. Uh, by having money available after closing in a savings account or some sort of liquid reserve account, it many times can make your loan look a lot better and push it over the edge to get that underwriting approval that you need. So that's really where it comes in All as right. far as credit score for down payment. So sometimes it's better to, to save up for a larger down payment to start building equity, I would imagine, right? By- no, I don't, I don't think so, actually. I don't think it's better to save up. For most people... You're better off just putting 3 to 5% down and then buying a home with a small down payment and getting in the game, getting in the market, okay? And the example that I'll give you on that to really hit that home is, you know, people looking at buying a home in like 2018 or 2019, okay, before the prices went haywire. And there are people that could have bought a home back then with 3% down, 5% down, you know, somewhere in there. But they didn't because they thought they needed more or for whatever reason they decided it wasn't the right time, they didn't have enough, whatever. What would have happened, though, if they did pull the trigger and they put 3% down on a starter home back in 2018 or 2019, okay? Do you think they are in a better spot now than had they waited? No. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, I think of examples of clients that were bidding on homes in that timeline, like 2019. And I saw a house back then, it was like 350. The guy said, no, that's overpriced. That house just resold for like 575. Okay. So the person that sat there and said, I want to save up another, you know, 50 grand, 60 grand to put 20% down, they lost out in six figures of equity. So I don't think it's worth trying to save unless you have really, really bad credit. Okay. And, you know, that's the only scenario. But in most cases, it doesn't make sense to save up more money. It makes more sense to actually just pull the trigger, get approved, and get into the game. I'm glad you explained it then. What are some creative ways then you could boost your savings for a down payment? Oh, gosh, there are definitely some creative ways. So I would say, like, right now with the way the economy is going, there's a lot of people doing side hustles, side gigs, like, you know, different uh, work-from-home things, TaskRabbit, Uber Eats, DoorDash, you know, just all those little, like, side jobs you can do. There's so many now online, and many people make thousands and thousands of dollars a month. They really do, uh, just from those side gigs or online businesses. So definitely think about that. Another thing is W-9 exemptions from your job. So I have so many people that tell me they got a tax refund, like as if it's a badge of honor that they got a $6,000 tax refund or something. What they really did was they gave Uncle Sam a loan for free for the last year at zero interest. So if you're someone that normally gets a tax refund, stop giving Uncle Sam your money. You need to get that money in your bank account now to buy a home. What you want to do is go to your HR department at your job and ask them to change your W-9 exemptions. Okay, that will make it so more of your money comes to you. Yeah, you may not get a tax refund or as big of a tax refund, but you're going to get your money now so you can start saving to get into a home, which is huge. So that's a great strategy. If you're self-employed or a 1099 gig worker, you, you, you know, you might be able to be flexible with your quarterly tax payments. A lot of people that have their own business, they make quarterly payments to the IRS. 
If you're planning on buying a home in the near future, you may want to strategize with your mortgage advisor as well as your tax advisor about maybe changing up the amount that you pay to those quarterly payments so that you have the ability maybe to save more money towards buying a home. So that's going to be an individualized solution, but that right there could save you many, many thousands of dollars uh, that you could then put towards buying a home. A huge one is going to be retirement savings. So, so many people, when I ask them, how much do you have saved to buy a home? They only think, what's in my checking, what's in my savings? But when I dig deeper, what I find is many of these people, like at least half, have been at their job for more than five years and have a retirement account. So 401k, 403b, IRA, traditional or Roth IRA, any sort of retirement fund, I haven't seen one yet that doesn't allow you to take money out to buy your first home without a big fee or penalty. So if you're someone that's been saving for retirement, wouldn't it be cool if you could use that money also towards buying a home? You could take a loan against it with no penalty and use that to buy your home. Absolutely. We do it all the time. Some people choose they don't want to take a loan and they withdraw the money. That's your own prerogative if you want to do that. There are definitely some tax penalty uh, potential if you do that. So what most people do is borrow the money if they can through those retirement funds. Gifts from family, huge. I would say 30-40% of my first-time buyers get gifts from family to buy their first home. Maybe they have all the money they need, but they're like $3,000 short or something. Why are we going to let your dream home go because of a couple thousand dollars? People can make miracles happen. They can talk to family. They have people that maybe are well-off financially and willing to help them. So that can be huge. And the last one is seller concessions. It's not really a way to boost your savings, but it's a way to alleviate the need to save as much if your realtor can negotiate to have the seller pay some or all of your closing costs. So those are the creative ways to get in the game with a down payment and savings. All right. I've only got one minute. What's your role as, as a mortgage advisor in helping clients save for a down payment? Yeah, so like I said, everyone's different, so we want to identify the right loan program based on your credit and your situation and what the minimum down is going to be, figure out the timeline to get you to that goal. We want to look at these other options like gifts from family, the retirement funds we were talking about, and this stuff is always changing. So by being on target with a mortgage advisor, we can let you know when new money or new programs become available. This stuff just in the last six months, have changed quite a bit. And there's a lot of first-time home buying initiatives and low-to-moderate income initiatives that can really uh, help us position you with the best loan to save the most money on your interest rate, your PMI, and all that. It's got to be hard for people to stay motivated, I would imagine, to save for a down payment, especially over a period of time. That's part of, really, the role of the mortgage advisor, too. I mean, at times, I'm like a cheerleader for my clients. (laughs) So it's really keeping your eye on the prize being confident in what's going on in the market and what your direction is. You want to create a dream board or a vision board. So what that is, is like a board where you put up maybe photos or you clip articles and things that motivate you and put you on your vision. You know, that's a great thing. Reward yourself. When you put money in, you know, for saving a home, when you hit a goal, reward yourself. Go get a nice, uh, you know, piece of clothing or (laughs) You should do that in life. But reward yourself. You got to do that in life in general. Folks, you've been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show. Um, if you like more information about this show and others, uh, simply go to the website, and that is robgw.com. Again, it's robgw.com. If you've got a question, maybe you'd like answered on these very, uh, very airways, maybe as soon as next weekend, simply email Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. And of course,
course, if you'd like to make an appointment with Rob, write this phone number down, 860-413-3938. You can leave him a message. I know it's the weekend. Or call him on Monday, but make it a point to him. Again, 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next weekend, have a good one, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.